0: Yes, Philippians chapter four. We are going to attempt to get through. Uh, we might be out at this point. Um, but uh, anyway, so Philippians four one through twenty three. Um, we're going to read the whole thing here, and uh, then we'll uh, we'll attempt to get through all of chapter four in about thirty minutes. So we'll see how that goes. And I've already used. 30 seconds to explain that. So we'll see. Okay. This is what God's word says. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes. I ask you also true companion Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low and how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And this is the secret, verse 13 here. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, we thank you for this chapter. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things in your word. And it's in Jesus' name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. So in the story of Mulan... I can't sit down while I, while I preach. I don't know what I think I'm doing here. Okay. In the story of Mulan, uh, in the very beginning, there's this scene where she goes to meet the matchmaker, okay? And so as she's going to meet this, uh, this matchmaker if you remember it, it doesn't really go very well. There's a, an incident where the cricket gets out and just causes a whole slew of incidents, and it results in the matchmaker uh, having a, an ink-stained goatee, tea poured on top of her, and her pants catch on fire. And she says this phrase to Mulan, uh, which is quite striking. She says, you may look like a bride, but you will never bring your family honor. And then I think she also says you're a disgrace in there too. And so the story of Mulan is actually uh, part of of the reason why Mulan goes off to war is actually to, um, to gain honor for her family, but to honor her family in a way that maybe is different than is expected in that particular culture. And so in a similar way though, the Christian life is, is about honor and glory, but not honor and glory for ourselves. It's about honor and glory for our Heavenly Father, honor and glory for God. And that's actually how Paul closes this final chapter in the letter of the Philippians, or letter to the Philippians. If you look at verse 20 there, he says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And amen. But prior to Paul uh, talking, uh, you know, finishing with this, this um, emphasis on the glory of God, uh, all of chapter 4, and I think uh, I would say a good chunk of the rest of the letter, is talking about the ways in which the Philippians can glorify or bring glory or honor to God. And so specifically, in chapter 4, we're actually going to talk about six Ways. Yes, you heard me. Six ways. Uh, we'll see how we can get through six points in uh, a time frame that normally takes me to do three, but we'll, we'll, we'll give it our best shot. Um, and so we're going to talk about six ways um, that this passage talks about how the Philippians can live a life that glorifies. God And that is uh, the main theme. What I want you to take away from this passage is this, is that God is glorified when his people are growing in grace. God is glorified when his people are growing in grace. But if that's true, then it would be uh, helpful for us to see maybe some examples of that. Like what does that mean? What does it mean to grow in grace? What does that what does that look like on you know on the on the basic most everyday kind of situations? And what's interesting about this, this chapter is there's actually three uh, there's actually three sections that it's kind of split up into that kind of give us these six uh, attributes of someone who is growing in grace. First, Paul's going to deal with a conflict. Okay, so he's going to deal with a conflict. And then he's going to talk about some character traits that are um, that should uh, be present in the life of the Philippians. But then he's also going to talk about the uh, the need to be a, a charitable people. Okay, so three C's. There you've got. He's dealing with a conflict. He's dealing with character, and then he's dealing with. Charity, okay? So that's, that's kind of how this, this chapter is broken up, okay? But if we're, so what we're going to do is we're going to answer the question what does it look like for someone to be growing in grace? Or another way to say that, what does it look like for someone who is uh, becoming more and more like Jesus? What does that look like? Well, the six things that we're going to pull out of this chapter is first, is that that person is agreeable, okay? they are agreeable. Second, that person is someone who is joyful. Okay? That person is someone who is joyful. Third, that person is someone who is gentle. Agreeable, joyful, gentle. Fourth, that person is someone who is prayerful. Okay? Agreeable, joyful, gentle, prayerful. Fifth, that person is someone who is thoughtful. Okay, thoughtful, agreeable, joyful, gentle, prayerful, thoughtful. And last, that person who is growing in grace is someone who is charitable. Okay, so those are the six things. And uh, we're going to dive right in here. So let's talk about it. So God God is glorified when his people are growing in grace. Look at verse 9 with me for just a minute here. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, what's interesting about that word practice there is Paul, the, the verb that he uses, so it's a command, but it's also in this present tense and it's it's like it's an ongoing thing. So what he's not saying is be perfect in everything that I've commanded you. No, what he's saying is practice these things that I have taught you all throughout the, the other three chapters that we, you know, that this, this previous discussion that he's already had. Put these things into practice. What you have seen, the example that they've seen in Paul and that they've seen in other faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, put these things into practice. Okay. And so Paul, in this, this letter, like I said, it's kind of split up into these, these three different sections here in this, this chapter. Um, and so let's talk about this conflict for a minute there. Um, so if you look there in verse two, it says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Okay, so this is the first thing, that, they, that the person who is growing in grace should be agreeable, okay? Now, this word, what it means is it means, uh, basically, it's this idea of having the same mind. In fact, this same word actually shows up a little bit earlier in chapter 2, where Paul says this. He says, um, verse... Let's see here. I think it's verse two there. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So that's, that's the same phrase there. So it's, in other words, it, um, it kind of conveys this idea of being willing to find common ground. That's kind of the idea that's being talked about there. So uh, this is interesting. The legacy of these two women, Yodia and Syntyche, they're in the Bible but their lasting legacy is the fact that they couldn't get along. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Like you're, you're someone who's in the Bible, but you're, the whole reason you're there is because you, you wouldn't settle a conflict with somebody else. and now that conflict is forever in god 's word, and we're talking about it 2,000 years later, or you know however many years um, and so what's interesting, though, is he says that someone who's growing in grace is someone who's going to be willing to try and, and find common ground, someone who's going to be willing to say, you know what, like, you see this a little bit differently, and that's okay, like, I can, I can kind of meet you in the middle there. And that is such a vital word for our day and age because we do not like it when people disagree with us. In fact, sociologists actually had to come up with a new word for the feeling that people get nowadays when someone disagrees with them or like doesn't hold the same opinion on a thing. I think it's called an- anomi, I think is the feeling. But it's this feeling of sadness when someone doesn't have the same exact perspective as you. And this is such an important point for us, is that it's, it's okay, God has made us all different. We see the world slightly differently, but we have the same Christ. We have the same word. And so we need, if like, for instance, I have a, a different uh, end times theology than some of the other people that are on staff here, and that 's okay like we can totally agree to disagree on those things right but if you ask uh, if you ask you know Aaron uh, or Carl like you know, what is the most important things, we're all going to agree on those things. We're all going to agree on justification by faith. We're all going to agree on the fact that salvation is through Jesus alone. We're all going to agree on the fact that God is sovereign over all things. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying, you two that are having this, this conflict, get along. Learn to be the kind of person that is willing to find common ground. Emphasize, uh, I think as Pastor Aaron said a couple uh, a couple Sundays ago, emphasize you, what is similar or the same rather than emphasizing the differences, okay? And this is specifically a commandment for the church. He's talking to people who are attending the same church and Paul is uh, 800 miles away, doing conflict resolution via a letter. So funny. And so this is the first thing. He says, learn to be someone who is growing in grace, who is agreeable, is willing to find, kind of meet in the middle and find that, that common ground with someone else. But not only that, if you look at verse four there, he says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say, Rejoice. So once again, this, this theme of joy is coming up. And he's, he's saying that, you know, if you think about it, Paul, he's in prison, right? He doesn't know whether he's going to be released or whether he's going to uh, be executed. And these are, these are his, kind of his last words to, these, to this church. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see them again. And what does he talk about? He says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I think that's significant because that's the thing that's on his mind when he is in, you know, uh, to borrow a phrase from the Princess Bride, when he's in the pit of despair, right? When he's in this, this place and he's, he's locked up and he doesn't know if he's ever going to get out. What is Paul saying? <laughs> rejoice in the Lord, guys. Always rejoice in the Lord. And again, I will say, rejoice. This is amazing that Paul, this is Paul's perspective, but we said a few weeks ago that one of, the, one of the signs that you have really been thinking long and hard about the gospel is that you find joy in the gospel, is that you have thought about it until it causes your heart to overflow with gratitude, with thanksgiving, with joy in the fact that regardless of whatever circumstances are going on around you in your life, your relationship with God is rock solid because of Christ, because of the fact that Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you could never live, that I could never live. But not only that, he died on the cross to pay the penalty for all the times that I messed up and all the times that you messed up. And so we our relationship with God is is on solid ground. And it's because of that that we can rejoice in the Lord always, because we will be with the Lord always, as Paul says in another letter. I was just talking to my Roots group, which you are all welcome to come to once a month, Um, but I was just talking to them about this theme that runs through scripture that the Lord's been teaching me about, that um, God has always desired to dwell among his people. But when sin entered in, it caused this, this separation between God and his image bearers. And so God, throughout redemptive history, has always, has always created these meeting places where man and God can come together. But before Christ, there was always this, this separation, right? In the temple, you have uh, in the tabernacle, in the Old Testament, that, that mobile mobile tent thing where, you know, the presence of the Lord dwelt. There was a, a curtain that was between God and his people, and only the high priest, which is cool when you think about that that's supposed to point to Jesus, but only the high priest was allowed to go into the very presence of God. And the same was true when God, uh, you know, told Solomon, build the temple. There was a curtain. There was this, this separation between God and man, But when Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit, it says that the the temple, the the temple curtains split in half, That, that big keep out sign where God said, you know, you can't come into me. God ripped it up and he said, now anyone who will come to Christ can have a relationship with me, can have free access. And it's because of that, it is all of that, that gospel, good news that because of Christ, we can be, uh, have a relationship with the God who made us and loves us and desires us to be with him in his presence. Because of that, we can be joyful people. And so Paul, one of his, uh, one of his final exhortations to this group is he says, rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I will say, rejoice. But then he moves on in verse 5, and he says, Let your reasonableness, or another way to translate that word is, Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And that's significant, too, because... What he's saying there, if you think about it think about it once again, from that same perspective, like if you can imagine um, let's say imagine um, you're, you have a brother and you're in or you know sister or whatever, and you're in conflict, and then imagine that one of your parents is is sick, let's say cancer, okay they're dying on this. Uh, in this hospital room, and they know that you have this conflict between you, what do you think you, that your parent is going to say to you? They're going to say, can't you be gentle with your sibling? Can't you come together? Can't you reconcile? You see, Paul, he's, he's facing death here, and he's trying to ensure that his spiritual children are going to get along. And he says, be gentle with one another, and let your gentleness what does he say? Be known to everyone. This is why, uh, so not only does he commend it here, but he actually, when he gives the requirements for someone who's to be a pastor, gentleness is actually one of the requirements. So if you, uh, if you ever see me acting in a way that's not gentle or rude, you can just point me to 1 Timothy and say, hey, you're supposed to be gentle. And uh, I'll give you permission. Um, But he says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And I think this is a really good point for the guys because, girls, I don't think you do this as much. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But we just like to say mean things to each other just because, you know, we think it's funny. And and a lot of times we take it in in stride and we're just like, "Uh, you, (laughs) right? But in reality, I'm not sure that's actually the most helpful way to communicate with one another. The Lord here says that when I say mean things to, uh, to Micah, if, if that were to happen, then that's a, whichever Micah. Um, now there's two. Uh, <laughs> um, it, that doesn't really exemplify the life of someone who's growing in grace. Someone who's growing in grace is going to speak gently with someone, even if the, there's conflict. There's a, there's a gentleness that, that grace Produces in the life of the believer because we recognize how gentle Jesus has been with us. In fact, when Jesus gives the description of his own heart, those of you who have read a book that Aaron highly recommends, uh, it's called Gentle and Lowly, okay? So this is the only verse in the Bible where, where Jesus ever tells us what his heart is like, okay? Or what he's like. And he says, I am gentle and lowly. I think that's significant, that even Jesus, the Savior whom we are desiring to look more and more like, he says that gentleness is one of the marks of his own character. Which was so striking to me when I first read that book, because when I, when I think about Jesus, I think sovereign Jesus, who's flipping over tables and whipping people. And I'm like, yeah, please don't do that to me. right? But then you, you read a verse like that where Jesus says, you, you want to know what I'm like? I'm gentle. I think that's amazing. So not only does he say, let your gentleness be known to everyone, but then he moves on to this next phrase here, which uh, you guys have heard me say this a few times where uh, the scholars are debate over this, okay? This phrase here, the Lord is at hand, when I was looking at the commentaries and different things, people are all over the map on it. Like how does this phrase relate to verse five, even though it gets thrown in verse five? Or how does it relate to verse six? I personally, this is my own opinion, you do your own research, Okay? I think it relates to verse six. And I'll explain why here in a minute. But fourthly, the person who is growing in grace is not only agreeable, joyful, and gentle, but that person is also someone who is prayerful. Now look, let me read this together and, and let me see if you if it makes sense to you the way it makes sense to me. Okay. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay? The Lord is near, okay, another way of saying that. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your, mi- your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so here's what I think. Verse 6 relates to that phrase, the Lord is at hand, in this way. There's a verse in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, where it says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Okay? So I think what he's saying here is, are you anxious? Remember that the Lord is near to you. Remember that God is not far off and distant, but if you're a Christian, God, the Holy Spirit, actually dwells inside you. He is near to you, O oh anxious, worried Christian. I think that's what he's saying here. He's saying you don't need to be anxious about anything because the Lord is with you. The Lord is at hand. It's this idea that he's, that he's within, within, you know, within reach. Now, some people think that the Lord is at hand is a reference to Jesus coming back, the, the nearness of his return, that, that he could come back at any moment kind of thing. That's a possibility. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. I don't think that fits with the rest of the context, and I don't think that that necessarily fits with the anxious element. I think that that it fits better to say that the Lord is near, and because the Lord is near, you don't need to be anxious. And because the Lord is near, you can pray to him, you can talk to him, because he literally dwells within you. You can speak to him at any moment about everything that's going on in your life, which I think is is fantastic. Uh, The fact that God cares about your problems is amazing because there's a lot of people that don't care about your problems. Uh, Just realistically speaking, like we are so naturally inward focused That it is hard for us to step outside of our own, you know, our own little bubble and think about what somebody else is going through. And so God, in his word, in this passage is saying, are you anxious? Talk to me about it. I think that's amazing. The fact that he says that. He says, in everything, whatever you're, whatever's going on in your life, by prayer and supplication, supplication, just a fancy word for, say, for saying ask, right? Ask the Lord. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In other words, ask God for whatever is going, you know, for whatever situation is going on in your life, bring it to the Lord and ask him to help you, Okay? So that's what he's saying here. But then he, he gives this promise here, which is quite amazing. And, and so one of the things that we do is we think, this is what anxiety does to you, okay? You think that if you sit and fixate on the problem and maybe work out all the worst case scenarios and work them all out to their cataclysmic conclusion, then you'll feel better, Right? but that doesn't usually work. All you do is sit and think about all of the negative outcomes and, and how, well, so-and-so didn't say hi to me in the hallway, so they must think I'm, you know, a loser or whatever. And then you, you fill in the blanks with all of these, these uh, you know, endless scenarios. And what God is saying, saying, don't do that. Take that thing, the fact that so-and-so didn't say hi to you in the hall, and bring that to me. Pray for that person. Take whatever is making you anxious, and bring it to your heavenly Father who loves you. He's giving you permission here. But then here's the the promise here. He says that when you do that, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will protect your hearts and minds. Haven't you experienced this, where when you sit and you're anxious and you worry over all these different things, doesn't it just get your mind... Uh, just in a weird place, just feeling all confused. Doesn't it get your heart feeling discouraged and deflated? And what the Lord is saying is he's saying that if you will trust me with whatever's making you anxious, I am offering to you my peace. Now this is amazing in and of itself. He says the peace of God. So what kind of peace does God have? God has the peace of being God. In other words, everything that happens in this universe, God is absolutely sovereign over, absolutely in control over everything that is going on. And so because of that, he has the peace of being the sovereign creator over all things. And God is saying that that peace, the peace that God has, the God who's never threatened by anything, who upholds all things by the power of his word, who created everything simply by speaking, the peace that that God has will protect your heart and mind, O oh, anxious Christian. But here's the catch. You have to talk to him about it. You have to bring it to him. And the promise is, is that when you do that, he will give you his peace. I think of the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. He's he's sharing his heart with the disciples. And you know what he says? He says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. And I don't give in the same way the, the world does. In other words, the world gives things, and those things fall apart. Those things don't last. But Jesus gives, and it's ours forever, so that's the, that's the idea here. And so he's saying that someone who's growing in grace is gonna be someone who is a prayerful person, especially in the circumstances that make you anxious. But not only that, look at verse eight there. He says, finally, brothers, whatever's true and honorable and just and pure, whatever's lovely and commendable, if there's any excellence in it, and if it's, if it's worthy of praise, go ahead and think about it. So that eliminates about, like, 90% of what you think about, what I think about, right? We so often think about things that are, like, not even close to what's on this list. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying this. Implicitly, think about what you're thinking about, Okay? Think about what you're thinking about. Take a moment when you are in the midst of, you know, uh, your everyday life. What consumes your thoughts? Is it what other people think about you? Is it what, uh, whether or not the person you have a crush on even knows that you exist? Is it, you know, what are you thinking about? And then filter it through this passage here. Is it, is it true what you're thinking about? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? Is it excellent? And is it worthy of praise? And so Paul says, for someone who's growing in grace, you need to become someone who thinks about what they're thinking about and filter it through all of these uh, tests, if you will. These little these words here and, and ask yourself, do, do my thoughts, are they consumed with things that aren't true? Are they consumed with things that are not honorable, that aren't commendable? And if they are, repent. Ask Jesus to forgive you and ask him to help you think about things that are in accordance with, with what is being talked about here. Okay, we made it through five points, people. All right, last section here. So in 10 through 20, Paul says that the final attribute of someone who is growing in grace is that they are charitable. Charitable. Why do I say that? Well, Paul says here, you have revived your concern for me, verse 10, Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share in my trouble. Now, if we back up to Philippians chapter two for a minute, um, look at verse 25 there. Philippians two, verse 25. He says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. Okay, okay. And so when we, when we went over that passage, and I know you guys have all of my sermons memorized point for point, so you guys remember that when we talked about that, um, we talked about how essentially what is being brought up here again in chapter 4 is that the Philippians brought some sort of a care package to the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. Okay? So this could have been food, money, whatever it was. In this particular day and age, depending on where one was imprisoned, It was actually up to family members to bring food and and shelter, or they had shelter, not good shelter, but food and clothing and all, you know, stuff like that to ensure that the person who's in prison doesn't starve to death, okay? So this is kind of the idea here is Paul is saying, you guys, you sent this care package to take care of me financially, maybe, you know, food and clothing, all these different things. You guys cared for me. And he says, even when nobody else did. What did he say? He says, when I first uh, left Macedonia, no other church financially took care of me. No other church supported me the way that you guys did, even when he was in Thessalonica, right? But Paul's perspective on the gift is not that he, it's not that he needs them to give the gift what Paul is commending here is their heart behind giving the gift. He seeks the, the um, what does he say? Verse, I have received full payment, I'm well supplied. Um, oh, where is it? Aha, verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. In other words, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, I don't, I don't want your money. What I want to see is a heart that bears fruit, a heart that is charitable. That's what he's after. He wants to see fruit. He wants to see uh, a people who are growing in grace and the manifestation of that growth is that they are giving, is that they are charitable people. Okay, and so what he's talking about here. Is basically the fact that these Philippians, they are caring for him. And in fact, in other places, it talks about how they actually don't really have a whole lot of money and they're still giving out of their poverty. They're still caring for him, they're still charitable, even though they don't have much. Now, this is really interesting here in verse 12. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Fun fact, verse 13 is probably one of the most... uh, Tortured verses in the New Testament. People just yank it out of its context. In fact, I used to do this back when I was like lifting weights. I used to be like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And not knowing that that's not what the verse means, right? You, Russell Russell Wilson used to have Philippians four thirteen in you know eye black on his face. That's not what that verse is talking about. It's not talking about the fact that if you, you know, say that, that if you ask Jesus, he'll help you deadlift a lot of weight or help you with your bench press. That's not what, it's ta- what he's talking about there. What he's saying is that um, in every circumstance of life, whether you have an abundance or whether you have nothing, the secret to enduring both of those things is that Jesus is your everything. The secret to enduring a life of abundance, which doesn't sound like a trap, right? That doesn't sound like a bad thing, like if you have a lot. But here's the thing. If you have a lot, this is what David says in the Old Testament. He says, Lord, don't give me too much. Otherwise, I'll forget about you. But Lord, don't give me too little lest I, I, I curse you and, and walk away. So it, it's, it's kind of the, the balancing act. He's saying, Lord, just give me, give me what I need. That and no more. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, you know what I need? In every circumstance, whether I have a lot or I have nothing, I have everything because I have Jesus Christ who strengthens me in every single circumstance of my life. So when you see the the verse, Philippians 4.13, on a coffee mug, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, Just remember, context is king. Okay. Um, So with that said, uh, all of these things are attributes of someone who is growing in grace. Okay? Someone who's growing in grace. And growth is something that is supposed to characterize your whole Christian life. So you're not just going to, you know, grow a ton in, you know, high school as you sit under my preaching or, or when you get into college and then you sit under, you know, Aaron's preaching or, you know, Carl's preaching or, or if you go off to another church. Um, growth is something that hap- is intended to happen over a whole lifetime. Think about like a really healthy tree, like some of those trees that are in like the redwood forest that have been growing for, you know, a couple hundred years. Growth in the Christian life is supposed to be something that is continual, okay? And so it's, it's actually um, not a good sign if you're not growing. It's actually a sign that there's something spiritually unhealthy going on in our lives, a few years ago, actually five, six years ago, um, my nephew, uh, this was back when my brother had three kids. He has five now. Um, and so my nephew was, was diagnosed with something called failure to thrive. Have you heard of this? Okay. So basically, it's kind of this, this, this diagnosis where um, the baby isn't really growing and is there some sort of a nutritional um, issue that's happening there. The baby's not growing the way that he or she ought to. And so um, basically what the doctor wound up doing was they uh, said, okay, you're going to have to add in some formula, you're going to have to change up some of these things in order to ensure that my nephew began growing and, and meeting those um, those milestones, those size chart thingies that they, they tell you to, uh, that your kid is supposed to meat. Um, but the point is, is that this, this failure to thrive um, is something that sometimes characterizes our lives as Christians as well. Sometimes growth seems to uh, be stunted. And, and there can be a variety of reasons for that. But a lot of times it can be um, something is going on in our hearts Something has taken our focus away from Jesus. And that's usually, I would say, almost always the case. When Jesus is confronting the church in Ephesus, in the book of Revelation, he says this. He says, you do a lot of really good things. You don't put up with, you know, uh, false teaching, you know, all this kind of stuff. But you know, what you're, you know what I have against you? You don't love me the way that you used to. You've left your first love. And honestly, a lot of times that is uh, really the killer of spiritual growth, is we get diverted from Jesus, and we fixate our focus, our love, and our affections on other things. And the result of that is that we wind up spiritually dried up like a little... Uh, like a little branch that's been cut off from the vine and shriveled up and looks ugly and there's no leaves or fruit on it. And what what God is calling us to through this passage and, and throughout the Christian life is to abide in the vine. As Jesus says in John 15, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. So if God is glorified in us as we are growing in grace, then we need to have our hearts focused on the source of that growth, which is Jesus. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that apart from me, you can do nothing. So apart from Jesus, there will be no growth in the Christian life. And a lot of Paul's letters are, he's acting a little bit like a doctor and he's diagnosing some spiritual sicknesses, some, some failure to thrive in certain areas. In this letter to the Philippians, he's pointed out some, and in virtually all of his other letters, like, you guys are doing weird things, stop doing that, right? That's, that's pretty much what he's, what he's doing, is he's trying to uh, diagnose spiritual sicknesses, and then apply the gospel to those illnesses, point them back to Christ as the answer to, uh, to bring about health and wholeness to the body of Christ once again. So my question for you, as you are looking at this chapter, looking at the call to grow in grace, what about you? Are you seeing spiritual growth in your life? Do you see an increasing desire to know, love, and follow Jesus, and a decreasing desire to pursue sin and unrighteousness and the ways of the world? And if your answer to the question, do I, do I see an increasing desire for Christ in my life, if your answer to that question is no, that's an indicator that there's something wrong in your heart. That's an indicator that something has taken his place. And if we get really honest with ourselves, we'll, no- we'll know, notice that a lot of times, even in our daily lives, we get so distracted from focusing on Christ We focus on other people, maybe what they think about you. Maybe um, you focus on the future and and what you're supposed to be doing and all these different things. But if you really want to grow, if you want to be someone who's growing in grace, someone who's glorifying God by continuing to grow, then that growth is found by looking to Jesus, by abiding in Christ Christ. Because the truth is, is you can't grow in your own spiritual strength. You can't grow in your own strength any more than a branch can grow without the trunk of the tree. You need Christ. And so, this week, as you are uh, asking yourself, am I growing? Where do I see growth in my life? How can I grow more? ask yourself these questions but here's some really practical things that you can be doing in your everyday life Uh, take time to listen to jesus and we talked about this in roots how do you hear the voice of jesus read your bible yes this is how you hear god's voice read the bible okay but not only that because we don't want just a one-sided conversation. Once you read, then respond in prayer. Prayer is a response to God's initial revelation. So just as when you are talking with someone and you can't get a word in edgewise, that doesn't make for good conversation, yeah? So you need both. You need prayer and Bible reading and incorporate the things that you read in your Bible into your prayer. And I think I've given this illustration before, but when you read something like, um, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life, then you can say something like, Lord, I thank you that your love is so amazing that it's better than life itself. So respond to God's revelation in your prayers. But not only that, This is kind of an older spiritual discipline that doesn't get talked about as much, but I think it's important, especially for our day and age when we're so connected to everything with our phones is the discipline of spending time alone with Jesus. This is the spiritual discipline of solitude, okay? So here's my recommendation. This This is a personal preference. I'm not gonna shame you if you do this, Don't use your phone when you're reading your Bible, especially if it's for your quiet time. Because I do that, okay? I'm telling you from experience, when I do that, then you get people texting you and you're like, oh, I better respond, right? And it's like, oh, what was I doing? And then you go on and it's like, oh, I was supposed to be spending time with Jesus, hearing his voice, and here I am texting some Yahoo instead of actually listening to the voice of my Savior, and so here's my recommendation get a paper Bible, okay? Get alone, leave your phone in your room or whatever. Find a quiet place, listen to the voice of Jesus, and speak with Him, okay? That's my recommendation. But I'll close with this. Um, so, just as Mulan is a story about honor and glory, so. The Christian life is about honor and glory as well. And we bring honor and glory to our God when we grow in and through his grace. But I want to make one quick point, is that your growth is not the foundation of your salvation, okay? Growth is the fruit of your faith, okay? So what I don't want you to hear as you walk away from this sermon that if you're not growing right now in this season that means you're not a Christian. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that one of the fruits of your faith in Christ, your continued communion with Jesus is that you will be growing in grace. Okay? All right. Let's pray.